Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dzinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. I'm so excited you're here today. This is the last episode in our Mental Health Awareness series, and next week marks the one-year anniversary of the Brave Marriage Podcast which I can't even believe. So we'll be doing a whole month of celebratory episodes, and I would love your help. I want your voice to be heard. You're the ones who show up here each week. You're the ones who are doing marriage courageously. And I know you all have encouraging words to share with others because many of you have told me so. You know who you are. And so, yes, I'm talking to you here in this favor that I'm about to ask of you. I would love it. If all of you, honestly, (laughs) would call and leave a voicemail sharing how Brave Marriage Podcast has impacted your life or marriage. Maybe you've been listening since the beginning, or maybe you stumbled across the podcast this week. But either way, if Brave Marriage has impacted you and made you better, please let me know. Let us know, because what I plan to do with these voicemails is create a listener-hosted podcast the last Monday in June where I'm going to take your all's voicemails and your collective wisdom and share it with the rest of the Brave Marriage community. You all, I can't even tell you how excited I am for this idea. So if you would like to share something with the Brave Marriage community, how this podcast has impacted you or offer your words of encouragement to other couples, please leave us a voicemail at 859-474-0182. Again, the number to call is 859-474-0182. The final cognitive distortion we are talking about today is emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning is assuming that because we feel a certain way, what we think then must be true, regardless of evidence to the contrary. For example, I feel hopeless, therefore I must be out of options. Now, what's interesting is most people wouldn't say it like this, even though that's what they're actually believing. Most people would say something like, I don't know, I just feel like I'm out of options. I've tried everything and there doesn't seem to be a good alternative. And when I hear phrases like this in my office, it clues me into the fact that someone is engaging in emotional reasoning. They believe that because they feel hopeless, that must be their reality, even though From where I sit as an objective third party, they're not even close to exhausting all of their options to get to a better place. It's just that in their minds, thinking the same thing over and over has created this bleak reality, not based on critical thought, but based on feelings of hopelessness alone. Let's use another example of emotional reasoning that I see a lot in couples. I feel unhappy. Therefore, I must have a bad marriage or my spouse must not be right for me. Now, let me break this one down for you even further so that you can see how emotional reasoning takes a toll on relationships as well as better understand the process by which couples end up here. Here's how it starts. In the beginning, let's say a few months into marriage, one spouse begins to think, okay, not sure why she's thinking that way, but I'm patient, so I'm going to let it go. And the other spouse begins to think, I wonder why he's being so negative about this. Maybe he's just in a bad mood. But then, a year or two into marriage, that same couple begins collecting more evidence against each other, thinking, 
I'm so sick of her blowing up over nothing. I'm finally going to address it and help her see the light. And I can't live with such a negative person. He's going to have to change or I can't do this anymore. Can you feel the resentment and irritation starting to build up between this couple? See, in the beginning of marriage, couples are often in the infatuation stage, and so initially, they both have a bias toward the positive in each other. But over time, as couples grow more attached to each other, as well as out of the infatuation stage, it can be easy for couples to slip into fixating on what's wrong with the other instead of focusing on themselves while maintaining a positive perspective of their spouse and of their relationship. So each has their own set of thoughts about why the other needs to change and about why each of them is so unhappy. And like the chicken or the egg dilemma, their negative emotion reinforces their reasoning, and their reasoning then reinforces their feelings of unhappiness. And despite all of the evidence to the contrary, despite all the exceptions to the rule, this couple becomes convinced that because they feel unhappy, that must mean they have a bad marriage or their spouse must not be the right one for them. And so eventually what will happen if this couple doesn't become aware of this cognitive distortion and the toll it's taking on their marriage is that they'll either end up divorced or living a lifetime as roommates. Now, quickly, let me give you two examples of emotional reasoning that highlight a few differences between genders. Not at all saying that these apply to all men or women, just that these are tendencies that seem to manifest in my office. When women engage in emotional reasoning, it tends to come across as mind-reading and catastrophizing. So a wife will say, I just feel like he doesn't care about me because he never thinks of me or my needs. All he ever does is think about himself and what he needs. And so while she may be feeling uncared for or lonely in her marriage, it's actually mind-reading, not evidence-based fact that led her to assume the worst about him and it's emotional reasoning that convinced her that he doesn't care at all. Not because that's what's true, but because her negative emotions around not feeling loved the way she wants to be loved are so pervasive. Now, when men in my office engage in emotional reasoning, it tends to come across as labeling and minimizing. So a husband will say, she's being so irrational. It's crazy that she doesn't think I care about her. I do X, Y, and Z for her, and I think she's just choosing to make a mountain out of molehills about this one little area that I'm not great at. So he's just labeled his wife crazy and irrational, despite evidence to the contrary, including oftentimes that he loves her as a mom, she's a hard worker, she's smart, etc. And what's actually happening here, whether he realizes it or not, is that he's feeling helpless or powerless or like a failure. But instead of just saying that to her, his emotional reasoning has convinced him that she's the one with the issues. Can you see that? And this one is often harder for people who aren't sitting with couples and seeing their patterns because some men, when they engage in this, tend to use language like, she's being irrational or illogical, as if he's being the rational or logical one. <laughs> when, in fact, he's equally engaging in emotional reasoning. So the emotional reasoning for him goes, I feel uncomfortable 
In fact, I feel so uncomfortable and helpless here that it must mean she's the one who needs to get it together. And I saved emotional reasoning for last in this mental health series because it's probably the number one cognitive distortion I see leading to self-sabotage in broken marriages today. So, here's what to do about it. Number one, differentiate your circumstances from your thoughts and your feelings. Circumstances are different from thoughts, and thoughts are different from feelings. But a lot of times, we think we're simply describing our circumstances when actually, we're imposing our own thoughts and feelings onto our circumstances as if they're fact. So a great way to differentiate between thoughts, feelings, and to refrain from projecting those onto your circumstances is to actively look for evidence to the contrary. So if you're convinced that your husband doesn't care about you because he refuses to do X, Y, or Z, look for evidence to the contrary. Does he take care of the kids, the household chores, the yard work, other things that need to be done? Does he compliment you or show you appreciation or care for you in other ways? Looking for new evidence helps us tease out objective behavior and neutral circumstances from what's actually bothering us. So once you figure that out, explore why your thoughts and feelings persist despite your newfound evidence to the contrary. Perhaps there's a trigger there, or maybe it's your own persistent thoughts that have made things seem worse than they are. But whatever the case, it will be much easier to have the brave conversations that you need to have with your spouse once you do this. Number two, recommit to what you really want. When we engage in emotional reasoning, we react out of the shifting tide of our emotions rather than acting out of a commitment to what we really want. So there's what I want in the moment, and then there's what I really want. Take marriage, for example. If I feel unhappy in my marriage, emotional reasoning says it must be my spouse's fault at best or because I married the wrong person at worst. Therefore, separating or divorcing is sure to make me happy, right? Well, not so fast. See, emotional reasoning causes us to make poor decisions that aren't necessarily in line with what we really most truly want and value. So decision-making and reasoning out of a mentally and emotionally healthy place says, okay, I'm unhappy, but feeling unhappy doesn't mean my life is terrible or my marriage is over or that I no longer love my spouse, but it does mean that I need to explore ways to get back to happy because underneath all of the emotion, I really do love my spouse and I really do want to be in this marriage. So if I'm responsible for my own feelings as an emotionally healthy adult, what changes do I need to make within myself to relieve some of this burden I feel? And number three, take action that aligns with your will, not your feelings. Like we just mentioned, there's what we want in the moment, and then there's what we really want. And here's the thing, our emotions will always and forever be sometimes positive and sometimes negative. Our emotions change and shift, but our will, what we most deeply want and desire, doesn't unless we consciously choose to want something else. So once you take a look inside yourself and recommit to what it is that you really want, then you can begin to reason consciously and take action that aligns more with what you truly want in the long term 
rather than engaging in emotional reasoning and unconsciously acting to relieve negative emotion. That's where the self-sabotage I talked about earlier comes in, right? And those three steps are what emotional adulthood is all about. All right, friends, I so hope you've enjoyed this mental health awareness series. I hope it's been helpful to you and your marriage. If it has, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes, or like I said at the start, call 859-474-0182 and leave a voicemail, which we'll share at the end of June. Your action step for today is, number one, ask yourself, where in my life am I allowing strong emotions to dictate my mood, behavior, or decision-making? And number two, walk yourself through the three steps we just talked about and let me know how it goes. My prayer for your marriage this week is that you learn to hold the tension between what feels true to you in this moment and what is actually true in your life and marriage. And as you learn to sit in that tension, I pray that God would give you the grace to lean into that, to what's actually true for his glory and for the good of your life and marriage. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Love is not about Love is not a bond Love is just as fragile As it is strong